This is a KSHSAA production. First down from the 17 is where they mark it officially. Here's Hancock breaks back at the 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Jane Hancock. Down to the other end, misses, shot won't go up the gun, and Eudora comes from way behind and goes crazy. Welcome to the 19th episode of the KSHSAA podcast. I am Jeremy Holiday. Glad to have you with me today. As I record this, we have state t- girls tennis uh, starting today, October 16th. That'll go tomorrow, October 17th. And we also have state girls golf, October 19th on Monday. And then gymnastics on the 24th with sub-state volleyball. So it's certainly uh, getting going as championship season is upon us. Uh, this episode is going to concentrate on a very important next couple weeks uh, for our membership as the October Regional Administrator Meetings will begin October 19th as Gary Musselman uh, from our staff and Executive Director of the Association goes out to uh, various locations throughout the state and talks with our uh, fellow school administrators uh, to get kind of the pulse of the state on on certain topics that are along with the association right now. So we'll talk with Gary about what is on that agenda and and see what uh, he's going to be discussing with those administrators coming up in the next couple weeks. So stay with us. Leadership is one of the most sought-after qualities in young people today. Our world is crying out for leadership. Anyone can be a leader. You just have to take a leap of faith and use 10 seconds of courage to get out of your comfort zone. Once that happens, then others will follow, and then you have started a movement. You don't have to do something huge. You just have to speak up and change something for the better. Take 10 seconds of courage and be a leader. This has been Paige Pearson from Osage City High School with a public service announcement from the Kansas State High School Activities Association and the student advisory team. All right, October is here, so it's time for the fall regional administrator meetings, and we're going to bring in Gary Musselman to talk about what goes on in those meetings. And and Gary, before we uh, get into the agenda and, and the specific questions and diagram those questions for everybody, Give us the, the rationale and the reasons for having this meeting and how it came about and who attends those and, and basically just, you know, the guts of why we do this. Well, thank you, Jeremy. Um, you're correct. These are these are an annual series of meetings. There are actually seven. Uh, years ago, we used to do six. We added a seventh meeting to try to help cover the state and reduce travel for people. The primary audience for these meetings are the administrators of our member schools. Typically, we see principals and high school athletic directors, junior high, middle school ADs as well. Uh, A lot of people, of course, serve in both roles in our middle-sized and smaller schools. A principal might be a 7th through 12 principal or a 7th through 12 assistant principal athletic director. So we also invite uh, local Board of Education members, and we extend the invitation to all of the members of our Board of Directors uh, many of those ladies and gentlemen are local school board members. They are state board of education members, uh, appointees of the governor who serve on our larger board of directors. And just to put it in a, I think, as succinct as possible way, these meetings are basically a grassroots series of meetings to make sure we're kind of hearing from our member schools and keeping them informed on what I might describe as emerging issues, topics or questions Sometimes there are real straightforward proposal to change a rule from this wording to this new wording. Sometimes it's more conceptual. Sometimes it's a little bit more of a, of a, you know, a bit of a nebulous topic you're trying to get your arms around, so you're looking for feedback. 
And we have some of some of those kinds of things on this year's agenda. So beginning next week, Monday, here in Topeka, and then, of course, throughout the state, the first week we'll be in Topeka, we'll be in Salina at Central High School, followed by Wednesday, October the 21st at Oakley High School, and Thursday, Dodge City, we go to the Learning Center to, to meet up with schools of Southwest Kansas. The second week, uh, Monday, October 26th, we will be at Blue Valley School District in, in southern Johnson County. They have a learning conference center uh, called the Hilltop Center. We'll be there. That'll be one of our bigger meetings just because of the density of school population. The next day at Fort Scott High School in southeast Kansas. And then the last day would be Wednesday, October 28th, Mays High School, which covers the Wichita metro area and, of course, is, again, one of the probably the two larger meetings. So it's a, it's a busy two weeks. You know, it's 1,000-plus miles. see a lot of people, but it's really important I think it's, to me, it's, it's the lifeblood of our association because it helps us stay in contact with membership and, and hear from people who are not their league's representatives on our boards. Um, what we describe to them is they're voting in a way that's kind of an advisory capacity, advisory vote, maybe a grassroots straw vote. It's one school, one vote. You don't vote on something that you don't have. If it was a proposal about baseball, for example, and my school didn't participate in baseball, then we wouldn't vote on that. So we try to disaggregate these votes, break them down by school sizes, classification, specific to sports or certain activities, and it helps our boards formulate a pretty good picture going forward as they get serious about are we going to make a change in a policy, are we going to change rules, are we going to change something major like a bylaw, um, you know, those things that are within our ability to control what changes are made. Well, if we get into the questions for this year, there's only uh, six topics to discuss with everybody in attendance. If Last year we had, I think, 13 or 14 questions, um, so not near as much on the agenda, but no less important for sure. Uh, I think the first two questions, and we'll just start with number one, allude to what you talked about. It's more of a kind of a barometer of, what, are, what do our schools really feel um, in, this, in this certain area? And that's homeschooling. Um, and so the first question, if we just read it, does your school support granting eligibility for homeschooled students residing in, within your district boundaries? Yeah, that's a, a question that the association during my 28 years on the staff here, we've, we've wrestled with several times. And it's been a number of years since we went out and asked our schools the simple, straightforward question. Do you feel that students who are not attending your school because they are homeschooled uh, should have the equal opportunity to, to participate on your school teams? And historically, our schools have been overwhelmingly opposed to that idea. And I think that rests strictly upon the fact that they feel like school teams, athletic teams, non-athletic teams, you know, debate team, band, choir, orchestra, those, those are things that were added to schools to enhance the education of the students attending that school. So to bring in children who don't have to meet the same criteria, don't have to meet the same attendance requirements, absence, tardy policy, uh, grade standards, you know, there, there really isn't any way to know in the state of Kansas when a family chooses homeschooling what that homeschooling consists of. Uh, it's legal to homeschool in Kansas. It's required that you should register with the State Department of Education, and, and many do, and others perhaps do not. 
there's really no way to know because there's no enforcement if anybody doesn't. But if you do register as a homeschool, then again, there's no follow-up with you to determine what are you teaching, how are you teaching it, and who's doing the teaching. So I think in that regard, our schools, who are all accredited schools, staffed by professional people who've earned credentials and spent their life and their college you know, money and time to earn a teaching credential, an administrative certificate, uh, those, are, those are things that they feel like if you want the same privileges and opportunities, you should meet the same requirements and standards. And again, I think knowing that legislation was introduced last year in the Kansas legislature, it passed the Senate, uh, it happens to be in the Kansas House of Education Committee right now. Uh, don't know what the outcome of that will be, whether they'll actively work that bill or not. But we felt like it's really important to see what do our schools think. Because if they aren't thinking the same way that they used to, then we certainly don't want to try to represent or perhaps misunderstand and misrepresent something that, that isn't the will of our membership. So again, remembering that we're a member organization, it isn't so much what Gary Musselman might think personally or the board, it's what the collective majority of our member schools want to do. So that's the reason that question is really important. It's very timely, uh, and again, you know, if, if there is activity this winter in January when the legislature reconvenes, this should help us know what our schools support or don't in the way of changing the rule or keeping the rule the same as it is. So. We'll basically just ask them yes or no about uh, homeschool students residing and participating in their district boundaries, and then if they do, what should be the requirements for homeschools to pass in Kansas? Um, moving on to question number three, this is kind of a question that's probably evolved over the last few years with uh, opening the summer up for coaches to uh, coach their kids. Um, it's kind of we hear things back and forth about it's too much or too little, but now it's kind of asking about one-week team camps. Yeah, we have uh, a couple of questions on here about the summer, what I would call the summer contact period with coaches and athletes. And if you've been around Kansas a while, you know that Kansas has made significant change in its summer rules that allow coaches and athletes to have contact with each other. Some of the language in our rules is back at a time where the only thing that a coach could do was have a one-week team camp with her or his athletes from the school squad. And some of that language may be a little bit out of date in terms of now coaches have so much more opportunity that not all of them are doing what we would used to call a one-week summer team camp. They're having contact daily for weeks at a time. There's an eight-week period of time in the summer uh, where coaches can have contact, and it takes on many different forms. So just as a staff, as you know, we've talked about, is there a way we can simplify the verbiage in the rules um, and just try to, to make it a little bit more easily understood, if, if we could say it perhaps a little differently. Now the other question, question four, that you alluded to is much more of a philosophical question because I think the pendulum has swung from people being concerned Kansas doesn't have enough opportunity to now many people, a growing number of people, certainly parents and I think more and more students, but now a growing number of coaches who are saying this is too much. This is too much time, too much contact, eight weeks in the summer, the self-inflicted pressure I feel to keep up with every other coach in the neighbor community or my league schools 
if I don't work as hard as the other guy or spend as much time as the other person and, and perceptions are everything. And I think coaches are seriously facing some realities that burnout is very real. Overuse is very real. The incidence of injury for kids for overuse in all sports is statistically significant and it's a concern. And I think a lot of coaches are also hearing from young people or perhaps looking at declining numbers of participation in high school football. In the country, we're down 9,600 athletes. That's not a huge number, but it's, it's a point that's worth noticing. And if kids are choosing to not participate because they feel the time demands are too great, even during the summer, I think a lot of our people feel like it's time to ask the question, do we need to still allow contact in the summer, but perhaps have a shorter window of contact, and so that's what this question asks. Uh, it simply reads, given the growing concerns for overuse injuries, the expense, the time demands for students and coaches, should the number of contact days for coaches to work with athletes in the summer be reduced? We don't say to what, we're just asking philosophically, should it be reduced? And right now it's eight weeks, and then there's two weeks of continued contact with groups of not more than three, and then there's two more weeks of weights and conditioning. And literally, a young person or a coach's summer could be consumed completely. And uh, then it's ready to start next year, next fall again, and, and nobody's had rest, nobody's had recovery. Mentally, physically, if you're starting a year worn down, you're probably not in good shape to start the year. So... You know, we need to find if there's a desire to have a different rule, more of a happy medium. Not too much, not too little, but what would be a happy medium. So that's why we're out there and we're going to talk about that. Do you anticipate, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, uh, but questions like this could vary from, and this is why you do it seven different locations. This is kind of get a barometer for each section of the state on that type of question yeah you do I think geography I think school size has something to do with that as well I think the the concerns you hear uh, the lifestyle of ch students and their families you know some children are still very much a part of a family's maybe a family farming operation and they're needed uh, they're needed to help with farm work they're needed to help in, in the family business whether it's farming or not uh, some families take vacations, some don't. Some kids are very involved with 4-H and county fairs, and some kids are not. So, you know, it's very difficult to have the perfect rule for everybody's situation because Kansas is so diverse in its population, in its economic basis, in its geographic factors. If you're a, If you're a young person who lives close to your school, that's different than living 25 miles away and Dad wants me working on the farm, and yet Coach wants me at the weight room every morning at the crack of dawn and doing conditioning and weights. And by the time I get back home, it's now mid-morning, and Dad's mad because I'm not out on that tractor getting that ground worked. So, you know, it's it just there's a lot of variables. Um, I think also there are kids in our, in our state who this provides a structured, supervised way for them to be held accountable in the summer, to not know that they're out getting in trouble, running the streets, being unsupervised. So there's there's both sides of this. And again, that's why you're always looking to try to find what would be a reasonable middle ground uh, to let you do some things. You know, last year, I think the proof in the pudding is, you know, we ask these questions at region meetings and those lead to substantive changes. Things, things do change. You know, last year we changed a, a school 
bus use rule for kids to be allowed to ride school buses to summer camps. That came about through these meetings. This year we have rules in place we didn't have last year about a player who's ejected from a ball game is going to take a required mandatory sportsmanship class online before he or she's reinstated for eligibility. That came about as a result of these meetings. You know, I can go on and on. Um, we've added a lot of, of health and safety rules this year uh, requiring concussion education, not just recommending it, but requiring it for kids, for coaches, for the administrators of these events, requiring heat and hydration education to prevent heat illness injury. Uh, again, direct result of these meetings. So, you know, I think anyone that feels like this is just sort of an exercise in futility really doesn't understand. Uh, to me, this is the very heart and soul of how schools participate in governing their organization. Uh, and, and it isn't just, as some people might think on the outside, that the staff decides this or Gary Musselman decides this and makes the rules. Uh, not at all. So, you know, they're, they're valuable meetings. And, of course, the biggest issue of all that, that may or may not, I mean, it's not really a, an up or down vote on a rule change yet. We're not at that point. It has to do with classifications. Um, as you're aware, and many people are aware, because these are things we share on our website and in minutes with our schools, we have a 13-person committee that has met twice studying the structure of our classifications in Kansas. And again, there's no preconceived notion that something is broken, something's terribly wrong, we've got to fix this, we've got to change this. But there's no set notion that we, we shouldn't change. I think instead of coming at this with a predetermined attitude, it's been very much a deliberate effort to try to study this and look at this analytically from the perspective of every size school we've got. Uh, these 13 people on the committee come from every classification of schools, all corners of the state, experienced, some even to the point of 45 plus years of experience, who are now retired, but still highly respected in our state for their understanding of our our schools and the programs we offer. And I think the focal point here is what is best for all students in schools of all sizes. It isn't about how many trophies, how many tournaments. I mean, those are all part of a classification system. But you're trying to have a system that is easily understood, that's fair. Again, fair is a word that people will debate. You know, what's fair to one may not feel fair to the other. But I think that, you know, we've looked at 11 other states, as we've asked, been asked to do. Uh, every state in the country is, is dealing with this very same issue. It's just a matter of where they are with it. Some are adding classifications. Kansas has not added classes, but we've subdivided 1A and 4A into two divisions. And effectively, in some sports, that's nothing more than adding a classification. So you're having eight basketball champions instead of six. And sports differ, you know, sports like football and the complications of eight-man and 11-man football. And where do you draw the line? And we're talking about that here, I believe. We've got a football question on eight-man and 2A-1A where we've got an enrollment cap right now of 100. A school bigger than 100 is not allowed to play 11, or excuse me, eight-man football. Um, there are schools bigger than 100 who would tell us we desperately need to play eight-man football. We don't have many boys coming out. That may or may not be a problem for the system. It may be a problem of participation and or the inability of coaches to inspire kids to come out. 
because we have the other. We have kids, schools that are under 100 who play up in 11-man football and wouldn't think of ever doing anything different. But a lot of it has to do with enrollment trends and demographics, small rural schools continuing to get smaller and fewer in number. So to the point this year we have five or six schools that have told us beginning next school year, the two-year cycle we just scheduled, they'll play six-player football. It won't be part of eight-man. So what does the future hold there? You know, I think right now what we're trying to get a handle on is if the 100 rule cap isn't the best method, is there a different number, a higher number, a lower number? Or should there not be a number and let schools simply choose and lock themselves in for two years? But again, with the reason there is a number is because people felt like they were being taken advantage of. In the days before there was a 100 cap, schools with 30 and 40 football players choosing to play eight-man football were nominating others who couldn't really opt to do anything different. And that didn't seem fair. And this association is always asked to create more fairness. So what did we do? The schools voted in place a 100-limit rule. Uh, so now we have it, and it isn't perfect. It doesn't make everybody's situation easy. Because if you're a school on that bubble of 8-man, 11-man, you have issues of how to reconfigure your field. That can be expensive if you've got to move goalposts or if you've got to remark fields. We, I talked with a school last week who will be playing eight-man football the next two years, but their junior high has numbers to play 11-man. So literally, the same school needs both kinds of fields, and of course, they just have the one. So there are real economic implications to this, and of course, traveling and scheduling people. Uh, if you're the last 11-man school in a big area of geography, you feel like you're on Gilligan's Island, you know, and you can't. You can't find anybody to play, at least that's within a reasonable distance. And schools have to be concerned with costs, because overarching this whole thing is the 500-pound gorilla of the uncertainty of schools and how they'll be financed in the future in this state. So I think schools are very much concerned with keeping activities programs because they're valuable. They have tremendous benefits for young people that are measurable, and time and research proves that but they're concerned about financially having the ability to sustain them. And, and I think those are understandable. So again, these, this meeting, even though we talk about these topics, it's a forum where I think it's healthy for the association to have a chance to hear what else is going on in our membership schools. I mean, we feel like we know, we try to keep a good finger on the pulse. But there's nothing like driving out there and remembering how far is it to Dodge City and how far is it down to Fort Scott and meeting with people where they live and work every day. So I think these are really valuable meetings. And, and these questions for this meeting, we have five of the questions coming from the executive board and the final question, which you alluded to, um, the sixth and final question about classification study committee actually comes from that committee and that's just... You know, they meet again in November. They've had two meetings already, but they they said, hey, a great time for us to just get a feeling for what our schools think is important when it comes to classifications. Exactly right. <clears throat> and, and as you said correctly, uh, there will be a survey that the schools will be asked to, to respond to and return to the committee members. At each one of the seven meetings, there will be at least one member of the study committee on classification. They'll give a report. 
and they'll provide a survey, a quick survey, just a one-question survey, asking our schools to put in priority order uh, what factors they think are really the most important factors when you classify schools. Is it the number of schools that are in each classification? Do they need to be evenly divisible by eight so that brackets always come out perfect without buys? Is it the number of classifications in total that we have, six, five, seven? Historically, you know, back in the days, Kansas has gone from two classes to currently our six classes. We've not really changed classifications since 1979, but we've had these two new divisions that have appeared here in recent years, and that, again, sets some of this discussion in motion. And others, of course, wondering, well, should we divide ourselves? And I think they're patiently thinking, well, maybe a better answer would be look at the whole thing. So that holistic view is what we're doing here. And the third, the third question to be ranked, if you will, there by the committee was, are you interested in the differential of the size schools from the top school in the class to the bottom? Is that the most important thing? Um, and again, numbers can paint any kind of a story you want it to because the top school to the smallest school in a class like 1A is going to be a difference of maybe 75, 80 kids. And the difference between the top and the bottom of a 6A or a 5A will be several hundred kids. Or a 4A would be maybe two to 300 kids. Uh, again, the numbers of kids in an enrollment count isn't necessarily the real, the real factor. It's the numbers of kids in that student body who choose to participate. If you have a low participation rate, it doesn't matter how many kids you've got in your school. Uh, the fact that you've got lots and lots of kids, if they don't come out and don't participate and they're just walking the halls, you know, you're, you're faced with some real challenges. So, you know, through the years, people who think we've not looked at this and other states, you know, we brought other states in, listened to their proposals of what they do and looked at it for ourselves. Everything from reducing a factor for kids that are meet the definition of poverty and reducing maybe if they don't participate as much as the traditional students do or, or students not in poverty. And we found that there really isn't that much differential in participation. Uh, nothing that our board felt was statistically significant enough to try to do a mathematical factor. So the other thing we have to be guided by is that the state law in Kansas tells us our schools will be classified by enrollment. So we don't really have the freedom to say we're going to just mathematically double some kids and count some child as more than just one child. Um, I understand that we used to do that for financial aid, but that's nothing we have any involvement with. So. You know, right now we have a pretty straightforward plan, and we classify every year. Most states don't do that. We think that's good for our schools, and our schools like it, except football, which, of course, is the two-year cycle. So we'll, we'll listen, and we'll learn, and it'll be an interesting meeting, and then we'll bring all this back, of course, and share it with our executive board. Uh, some of these things may turn into future policy or rule changes. Some may not. But at least we've been out there to ask and get a reading on the, the, the sense of what our schools want to do. Officials often don't get the thanks that they deserve. They are more often criticized and yelled at. Without these officials, we could not have many school activities. They not only maintain control of the game, but also secure the safety of the students. So next time you see an official, give them the thanks that they deserve. This is a public service announcement brought to you by Josh Payne from Linden High School and the Kansas State High School Activities Association. 
and the student advisory team. A couple things to note, piggybacking on what Gary said about uh, this is these type of meetings are where real change gets started. And as we look back at what happened last year, you know, that's kind of where the junior high basketball rule that was changed last year started out was at these regional meetings uh, to discuss. And we also talked about, like he, Gary mentioned, the heat acclimatization uh, for our activities and also the, the football content contact limitation discussion started here with the uh, regional administrator meetings in October last year. And, and you can see all those things created uh, some new rules for this year. So uh, definitely some important topics to discuss for those administrators. And this is kind of the process of change that things get done here in the association. You can find this agenda and the schedule of the meetings on our website under new topics. I encourage you to go there to check it all out, and we'll see you at those meetings coming up in a couple of weeks. And until next time, best of luck to those athletes competing in the state championships coming up this October and November. And before we know it, winter will be here.